Okay, how are you doing, everybody? And welcome to the John Riley Project. And I'm here, as always, with my good friend, Pete Neal. How you doing, Pete? I'm doing good. Hi, everybody. <laughs> so today, what we're going to do is we're going to follow up on the podcast we did on Wednesday. You know, this whole notion of flow charts in your mind. And we did part one with you, Pete. And man, we learned a lot about your ancestry and eureka moments and convergent coils and some of the diagrams that you have, you know, between your ears that you've privately kind of figured out. And it was fun to see that on paper and to share that with the audience. And um, yeah, so I'm hoping to do that for, you know, some of the things that I've experienced along the way, but yeah, but Pete, thanks again for Wednesday. That was awesome. I really enjoyed it. Well, the, the important thing there was, you know, we discussed Eureka Moments back in episode, I think it was 41. And um, Eureka Moments is a very, very finite moment. I mean, it can last minutes, but it typically will come down to just a couple of seconds. Something will happen. Yeah. And, of course, it's got an, it's got an envelope. And those were like little dots here and there. They weren't connected you know mm -hmm. so it bugged me <laughs> yeah yeah it really bothered me all right so i said there's got to be a way of tying these things have got to be tied together somehow and that's what put me off on the tangent of thinking about how do i graph this how do i plot this you know mm -hmm. how can i get this related and then as the podcast went on we did 118, which was touching on your ancestry. Well, ancestry is linear. I mean, that's that's in time, all right? There's no other perspective other than looking back into the history of your life and the back into the ancestry of your family. I said, ah, but here's a route, okay? Here's two occurrences where John Riley and I talked about virtually the same thing. So there's a gap there. There's... It's, it's no longer a single event. There's now two of them. Okay. Right. So if we can get the timing there, perhaps in the future, there'll be a third one. Well, what would that third one be? And how is it related to the first two? And that's when I said, it's cyclic. It's a cycle, yeah. you know. So I, I started thinking about a circle, and then I said, no, it's not a circle because it has its other dimension. It has time. And that's when I well, came cool. up with the concentric coils. It's like I remember, you know, in, in high school and college math classes where, you know, you plot points on a graph, and then mm -hmm. suddenly you would see the curve, right? And you would see the relationship, and you would realize that underneath the hood, there was really an algorithm that correct you know, that computed where those points on the on the on the cartesian plane were were plotted and as a result mm -hmm. to your point you can see into the future when maybe those next events are going to happen there's um, a probability to, yeah and the probability of it it's just this whole idea to me is just really cool and i you know going back to my college days i mean I, i'll give you just a crazy simple example is when my roommate and I in college, you know, we would talk about, you know, girls we were dating or relationships that we had. And we would joke that we felt like it was like a sine wave on a curve, you know, like where the relationship would have those good days and then it would decline and it would have a bad, you know, stretch. And and we would see these 
algorithms, these graphs, these kind of like flow charts, if you will, in our mind. And um, it was neat that I connected with him when I was like 17, 18 years old. And now I'm connecting with you, you know, three or four decades later. So this is cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, again, we're doing a live stream, so we welcome your thoughts and comments and questions. You know, we're, we're doing Facebook and YouTube today, so um, please feel free to jot any comments or thoughts you have, and we'll be happy to take your questions and read your comments on the air. Um, I'm going to really try hard to speak as visually as I can, because I know that, you know, a lot of our audience are just listening to audio only. So I'm going to try to be careful about that. But I'm really looking forward to this, because... Um, you know, I, I, I've also kind of had similar systems that I've had in my head, ways that I've seen the world. And I've gone through my own sort of personal self-discovery. Um, you know, I originally, when I'm in journaling or I'm doing some deep thinking, I would, you know, sketch these out on a piece of paper to meet, to get a greater, a deeper insight to what I was feeling or thinking and how different things in my life had relationships. And I eventually took the time and actually you know, created, you know, attractive looking presentations in InDesign or in PowerPoint, but it was only for myself. And so the cool thing is, is that I can share it today. But what I'm about to share is actually very personal um, and really fun to go through. So, Pete, maybe, you know, feel free to chime in and share your thoughts, because maybe you've experienced some of the things I have or maybe you think I'm just a whack job and I'm out in left field, but um, I look forward. No, you're not a whack to job. Okay. <laughs> so what I'm going to do here is I'm going to, I'm going to share my screen. Um, and uh, for you, if you're watching on video, it'll be obvious, but again, I'm going to try to be as good as I can on. Where is it? Here it is. Um, all right. There we go. Okay. So can you see that screen there? Yep, I see it. Okay. So I've got three sort of paradigms or three systems that I want to share. And and the first one, I've always called this privately Johnny's Circles. And it was just my way of seeing the world. And, you know, I came to this conclusion when I was an adult and I grafted out as an adult. But to set the stage, I want to set it up when I was a child. So, you know... When you're born, it's just you, right? You're you're this little baby and, and you're an entity. And then quickly you realize that there's a family around you and you grow up and that's your world. It's just you and your family. And eventually, you know, you go to school and you're you have your life to sort of in school. You have your life at home with your family. And as you grow older, you kind of get a greater sense of community, right? So you are playing little league baseball or you got a friend around the corner or, you know, you're doing things in your community with schoolmates, with family and friends. And that becomes your little bubble, your bubble in the world. Um, and you go through this and that's kind of like your life. You know, you've got some interests that you have along the way. And, um, you know, th that's essentially your life as a child. And, then I, I remember I, you know, went away to college and I got out of college and then all of a sudden it's just back to me again. Now here I am an adult and it's little old me and I, now I'm on my own, right? I'm no longer living at home. I'm no longer, you know, kind of in that 
protective sort of bubble of college uh, at when I was going to UC San Diego. Now I'm like, you know, got I'm out of college. I'm on my own and I can get a job. Right. So I got a job and I had a career and I worked for a big company and I was just little old me in the big world by myself. And I was in this big company and trying to navigate, trying to figure life out and, and sort things out. Well, as I grew up and continued through my twenties, eventually I got married and I saw my myself as one part of a marriage, but the marriage was sort of the greater whole of the two of us. And I went about my, when I wasn't focused on my marriage, I was focused on my career. But then like, you know, as a marriage, we, we were living in a condo in Carmel Mountain Ranch. And so then we bought a house in Poway. We went and bought a house out there on the end of Garden Road in Sycamore Creek. And, and, and we got a dog, you know, and, and you could see we were setting the stage that we were going to eventually have children. And so here, here I am like little old me and I'm this small little yellow ball and I'm in a marriage and I'm in a marriage with children and then I have this career. And so in my adult life, I've added all these new layers of responsibility, layers of relationships, layers of dependence, um, areas that I had to focus upon to make my life, you know, essentially good and productive. And I had other people that were depending on me and I was depending on other people. So I saw this, like, this is how this, this Johnny circles thing began to grow. And this was again, like in 2010 is, is how I saw this. Well, as I got older, you know, and I had my kids and my career and then suddenly I'm in my thirties and forties. Well, my parents, you know, start to get older. Right. And so I start really kind of helping my parents out as they got older. And that became like another layer. And I guess this is, what do they call it? The sandwich generation, right? Mm -hmm. Where, uh, um, you know, you're helping your parents on one side and your children on the other side. And, and so all of this was a lot, right? And by this point I'm in my, you know, my forties probably. And this is the center of my universe. Um, you know, I've got all these concentric circles wrapped around me. Um, I mean, do you ever feel like this, Pete, as you're Ab- getting older? Absolutely. I mean, all of the transitions that you just put together here, uh, let me see, one, two, three, three major slides so far in my memory. You as an infant, you as a member of a family going to school and friends and stuff, and then the transitions through the married life. There's, those are three, to, I can't help it. I'm, I'm going into convergent coils here. Okay. okay. All right. Yeah. All right. How, how's my volume, by the way? You hearing me? Okay. I, I hear you great. Yeah. You, you All right. Because you're sounding great. I'm. I think we've got the same level as opposed to the convergent coils where I dominated the damn thing. You know. <laughs> anyway, it's all good. It's all good. Um. 
there's one thing that's missing this from here, and that is the friendships that develop. Okay. Yes. You've yeah. got you've got you've got friends that you were friends with when you were a kid, friends that you were friends with when you were going to college, and they're different groups. In, at least in my case, is that true for you? Yeah, they are. And it's it's funny how that works, because, you know, I had my friends in college and I remember when we all got out of college and in my 20s, I must have gone to three million weddings. Right. As all my college right. friends got married. Right. And then once people get married, you know, you're you, you kind of the, that friendship, depending on the deepness of that friendship, you can drift a bit. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. I have some friends that got married and then, you know, they fell off the edge of the earth. You know, you never saw them again. Um, right. But there are others that you still maintain tight relationships with. But then as you get children, then, I mean, you don't have as much time to go back and hang out with your college buddies. You know, I mean, I what we used to do is before we all had kids, my my college friends, we, we used to get together for like these fishing trips and they were wonderful. But as we had kids, I mean, you just can't do that anymore. Um, But then what happens is as your children grow up and then they start having their own activities. And for my children, they both played a lot of youth sports. Well, then you meet the parents of their friends or the parents of their teammates. And then soccer moms. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you, you become friends with the soccer moms. okay? but but still. To me, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of framing this here. It's still those friendships that are especially that are related through your children and your ch- children's relationships are still kind of inside this concentric circle. I didn't okay. really right. add them, but I'm going to get to them. I'm going to get to friends. You'll see that okay. unfold in this. But you're All right. right. Okay. Um, but it is interesting, though, isn't it? You know, as we get older, um, it's 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 rare to have a friend and you have one, Pete, you talked about it, who you've known since you were, what, two? Two um, years old. We yeah, were aware I mean, of each other. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, good for you for having awareness as a two-year-old. But you, you, you obviously <laughs> were friends when you were, when you have, you can go back as far as you can remember. Yeah. That, that's pretty rare, right? Um, yes. And we, I mean, I we back, Gary and I. Gary and I both value that relationship. It's a sanity check for our lives, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, for me, I, I look back at my life and like my friends that I had in high school, um, mm-hmm. and especially my friends in elementary school. I mean, I lost track of them. I, cause I went to, um, you know, a, a Catholic school from first to eighth grade. And then I went to a public high school. So, even when I went to the public high school, a lot of my elementary middle school friends, they all went to Catholic all boys or Catholic all girls schools. And then they sort of, you know, left my universe. And then you go away to college and oh my God, but thanks to the magic of Facebook, I've reconnected with a lot of friends from like the fifth and sixth grade, which is great. Um, But I haven't, I haven't been able to go other than Gary, I have not been able to go back that far. Um, the friends I no, that's not true. There's Paul. So Paul and Mike and Gary are the only three human beings that I can trace back to my youth. Okay. Um, and it's funny because 
I had not, I lost the relationship with Mike up until the trip across country. The, the, uh, what do we call that? The tour of America, of the United, Pete does the United States or something like that. But I ran into Mission Across America. Yeah, Mission Across America. Podcast we did? Yeah. Yeah. I ran into Mike, Mike's dad. I didn't I didn't go seek out a lot of people because I had a limited amount of time. Okay. I should have gone to visit Mike because he and I have now become good Facebook friends. All right. Right. But our friendship as kids ended when he took up the guitar. Okay. <laughs> right. Yeah. Th- that was an inflection point. Yeah. Yeah. I don't play the guitar. He became a huge fan of the Beach Boys. He made his entire career out of being a sound guy for musical groups and doing studios and stuff. But every, every time I hear the Beach Boys, I think of Mike. But I've never nice. been able to close that loop up until we did a Facebook thing. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. So now I'm in touch with Mike. And it's strange. But I mean, there's only three. As much crap as Facebook gets and, in, in, you know, with, you know, bots and, you know, Russian influence on elections and all that crazy stuff. It's just so wonderful for reconnecting with old childhood friends. I mean, it's magical. Right. Um, yeah. But but to back to the presentation. So. Yep. Definitely friends are not really shown here, but I'm going to get to that in a second. So All right. let's, you can see let's progress. you can see that like as my adult life grew, I mean, I got out of college and, you know, you got married and children, you got your career going, then you get older and your parents get older and you kind of have to help them out. Well, the one thing that kind of got lost in all of this is, um, okay, wait a minute. I got to go back over here. The one thing that got lost in all of this are all of the things that were important to me on an individual basis. Okay. Yep. So, I mean, I had, you know, I, I have my own happiness as a, as just me, as Johnny, right? I have my own yep. needs, my own interests, my own personal growth that are outside the scope of these circles that are just for me. And I realized that in some cases, you know, I wasn't getting to some of these things because I didn't have time. I mean, I was working and I had kids and I had a marriage and I have a house and, you know, how life goes. But other times, you know, I would pursue these some of these things, but it was always I had like difficult feelings as I pursued them because I played music in a band for a while. You know, actually for a long while, even while I was married and had kids. But, you know, you kind of didn't feel free to do that because you had this obligation to your family and your friends and you had to get up for work the next morning. And so you had to you always had these other things on your mind. And so when I was pursuing things like personal growth or my own interests, I felt guilt. You know, I felt guilty that I wasn't instead focusing on my marriage or my children, you know, even in just those few moments, that 10% of my life that I was doing something just selfishly for me. In other cases, you know, I, yeah, like I, I would feel selfish. I would feel like, Oh my God, I can't be doing this. And, you know, maybe I might be getting a, a stink eye from a family member. I don't know, but I had that guilt. And in a lot of other ways, it, it kind of devalued me. You know, I, I, 
I had great, I felt valuable in my marriage and in my family life and career. But, you know, for me as an independent entity, you know, I, I felt small uh, because I was so, you know, connected and dependent and interwoven with my marriage and my children and my career and my parents and, and all that. I mean, have you ever felt like that before, Pete? You are hitting the nail on the head so profoundly. <laughs> okay. I, I mean, I want to narrow the size of the head of the hammer here because you are hitting it superbly well. Okay. Oh. This is a very, very common thing. At least I think it is. Okay. Go ahead. Continue on. I think it is common too. And the the crazy part of this is, is that, you know, um, I've, you know, as guys like going through my life and I will do sort of my own little personal growth exercises. And a lot of people go through this. A lot of people seek therapy for this. And I, you know, I've spoken with therapists as well. And, and a lot of people go through these challenges where, you know, they're stressed out, right? They're, they're stressed because they got to, deal with crazy work and crazy home life and, and, and crazy finances. I mean, everything, it could be just a burden and people lose sight of their independent spirit, you know, the thing that makes Mm -hmm. them, them. Um, but, and I had heard chatter about that. I had read about it, but I never really got it. Okay. Until I went through this exercise of kind of you know, started out by just sketching it out on a piece of paper when I had these feelings. And then I, I've been journaling, you know, really for like the last 10 years consistently, probably five times a week. And again, it's been growing and building and I've been getting better understanding of it. But the crazy thing is, is yeah, I, I get this, these negative feelings. And I, I think another part of this is, is I look at my upbringing and, you know, I'm Irish, uh, brought up in an Irish Catholic family, went to Catholic school and everything from first to eighth grade. And, you know, the whole Catholicism, you know, there's that Catholic guilt thing, right, which is a concept and people feel that. But, you know, the whole concept of of Christianity is is a lot of it's built on sacrifice, right? Um after all, that's what Jesus Christ did on the cross. He sacrificed himself, you know, to absolve mankind of original sin. But it's all built on this notion of self-sacrifice. There's a lot of that woven into the religion that gets woven into culture and a lot of our morality. And I'm here. Now I'm living it. Okay. Yeah. And I'm feeling the burden of that. And I was struggling with that um, because I felt myself as an independent person had gotten lost that I was just this little blip on a screen and I had all this noise around me. And then when I tried to reach out and pursue my own happiness, you know, granted I was happy in my marriage and my children, career parents was all happy, but it was happy in relationship to those people. The category of my personal happiness, independent of everyone else was sort of put on a shelf or when it was pursued, it was pursued with this, this guilt. And I, I, and I struggled. So what I did is I had to completely rethink this whole model. And I said, well, wait a minute. 
the, the, let me go back. That little yellow dot in the center of the circles is me. It's, it's way to the hell too damn small. Okay. <laughs> I need to be bigger in the relationship to everything with me in the world. So that was the first thing I had to realize um, that I have to put essentially myself first. And then everybody else is kind of circling around me. Um, but I had to have me first. And that was hard for me to get to um, because I felt, again, that sort of that sort of guilt, you know, or this notion that I need to live for these other people. I forgot that I need to live for me. So as I kind of got this concept, then what I suddenly did is remember on that previous slide, I had my interests and my needs my personal growth and my happiness were outside of the concentric circles. They were like comets, like way beyond the the edge of the solar system. Right. Well, now what I did is I brought those inside my circle. Mm -hmm. So now my me is bigger in relationship to what it used to be. And I am now prioritizing my happiness. I'm prioritizing my interests, my needs, and my growth. And I'm not feeling, I'm not feeling um, guilty about it. I'm just going to do it because my, this is my life, you know, and I, right. and, and, and I, I can't sacrifice my own life. And I'm now here, I'm in my mid fifties, you know, so, you know, you begin noticing that, you know, the, the clock is, is ticking. And so, I started to think this way, and this wait, is wait, hard. Wait, wait. Let me, let me yeah. interrupt here for a second. Yeah. In your 50s, you are you become aware of the ticking clock. Yes. Because you gotta, you got to hit the 60s yet, Fred. Oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> All right? Yeah. <laughs> That's when you start reading the clock. Right now, it's just a ticking in the background. <laughs> right. All right. Yeah. Just let's, but let's keep things in perspective. <laughs> Well, yeah, I get that. And, and, you know, when you're in your 20s and 30s and even in your 40s, you, you don't think about the clock, right? Because, A, you either are young and feel invincible or, B, you're just so buried in the world of family life and career life and all the other things that are going on in your world. You don't have time to come up for air. Right. Um, yeah. Now. Your, your kids have not gotten to the stage yet, and my kids are. Oh, you know, I'm hearing this from my oldest to my youngest, okay? Oh, my God. I'm as old now as you were back some point in time, you know? And we're going, yes. yep. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's crazy. I You know, I just, gosh, I remember... When I was, okay, like I, I, 1978 was the year I graduated from the eighth grade. And that sticks with me. And I remember being with my mom, driving around in the car. And then she would love um, listening to music from when she was a teenager, which was like the 1950s rock and roll, right? Right. And yep. in 1978, when I was 13 years old, listening to, um, you know, 
Little Richard or something. It just seemed like music from the Stone Age. You know, it was like a million years ago. It was 20 years ago. Oh, my God. You know, I was only 13. Well, now, 20 years ago is 2001. I mean, that's when 9-11 happened. I mean, it right. wasn't that long ago. So, God, right. yeah, your whole cycle of time is just nuts. So. Yeah. My friend, one of my other friends has been traveling like crazy and he, you know, he's divorced. So he has a lot more liberty, but he, he now just travels a ton and he posted in Facebook not too long ago. And he said, how many good summers do you have left? You know, how, how much time do you really have left where you can live a very active lifestyle and globetrot? Now, granted, he has the financial means to do this, but that post really hit me hard. And I was thinking, wow, yeah, like how much time do you have left? So, yeah, see, you, you know, as I grew as an adult and even in my 40s and 50s, I'm growing and learning. And I finally said, OK, back to this chart. I need to not quit. I got to quit deprioritizing myself. OK, I, ha- I mean, I love my family and my friends and my career. and I'm not by any means disparaging that, but I have to have some sense of self, some you know, I can't diminish me, you know, in order to serve other people. So um, I began prioritizing it. And so what I ended up, this, this evolved further into this. And this is kind of the, the final result of this process where now the inner circle, I originally had it as the physical, the mental and my interests. But then I realized that the physical and the mental are really mind and body and we also we often hear about this mind body experience. Mm-hmm. And I realized, well, the mind and body are just very related, right? They're not independent silos, that there is a there is a there's a relationship there. And what I originally had in the third bucket were my interests and my hobbies, but that became my happiness, you know, the things that make me happy. And then I began to realize the interconnectedness. And then, by the way, I, you know, my family and friends and my career still existed, but those are outside the scope of me. Mm-hmm. Um, because I then really began to learn that I can't serve my wife or my children or my parents or my customers or my employees unless I take care of me first. I have to be healthy and on top of my game in order to provide value to the people around me. But if I'm a disaster inside and I'm a mess, then I'm not going to be of valuable service to the people around me. And people, you know, I read about this and talked to people about it and they would always say the same damn thing. You got to take care of your first yourself first in order to take care of others. But you don't really get it until you get it. And, and this, process. And so then the whole notion of how these things are interrelated, like, you know, throughout my life, I've, I've struggled with weight, you know, I've been a yo-yo with weight. And I know that when my weight was high, you know, my, my body was not doing well, my mind was weak, and I wasn't happy. So that that creates a little bit of a negative feedback loop. And then the opposite is true is when I've been physically healthy, I've usually been in a positive state of mind and I've been happier. Um, So I'm beginning to have a lot more awareness of what I'm feeling and I'm having greater, um, how should I say, kind of a shift 
in my moral outlook that it's okay to be selfish. Now, I mean, not stupid, selfish, nasty, selfish, but the other kind of selfish where it's okay to put myself first. It's like, it's okay to, it's important like to eat well, you know, and to exercise and to, and to, and to personally grow. Um, I can't negate that. And there've been times in my life where, where I have put myself last, where I have, you know, been more interested in servicing, like even in my business, I've, I've been more interested in serving my customers than really serving my business properly. And I've done that at the expense of my business um, where I've taken on the wrong clients. I mean, so there's so many other ways that this thing, you know, can be spun, but I don't know. What are your thoughts on this, Pete? No, I'm, like I said, you're hitting the nail on the head so well. There are obvious differences all right, let, let's just pick out one that really hit me hard because I did mention it in my podcast, okay? And it has to do with my happiness, okay, which I'm surrounded by, <laughs> okay? Bill Stringfellow, um, I knew him a majority of my life. I, I met him in the Navy, and... By the way, we called him Strange. So if I refer to him as Strange, his name was Stringfellow. Stringfellow got shortened to Strange. So Stringfellow on its own is kind of a cool name. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. So when Bill said to me, Pete, just buy the goddamn thing. And I said, why? Corvette. Yeah. Yeah. And he says, because you're going to spend a long time dead. Now, how similar how similar is that thought, okay, to your friend's Facebook post? Oh, same thing. Just manifested it's, in it's, a different way. Yeah, it, different words, but the same concept is there. Yeah. Okay. Now, let me ask you a question about your happiness, okay? Can we go back one slide? Can you go sure. back one slide? To that one? Yep. Needs, interest, and growth all got merged into happiness. Okay. Um, I got it. Well, sort it, of. It, it, They're sort of merge. I mean, some of those, like growth, kind of merged into the mind. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, they, they kind of, what's the right word? They transform in weird ways. But yeah. Right. Ahead. Right. Sorry, but the point I'm going to get to is that it's the it's the one common thread that everybody identifies with because of these podcasts. Okay, I do have other interests other than Calypso. You do? (laughs) Yeah. Well, I know you do, Pete. We've talked about a lot of it, but yeah, yeah, go ahead. But Calypso dominates. Yeah. All right. Purposely, okay, because it is a common thread throughout that everybody can get equally pissed off about me talking about. doesn't make any difference whether it's friends, family, intimate relationships with my wife. You know, the car is the car is the car. So, but that has deep roots in me, 
Okay, the whole reason I I left home was to escape the unbelievable pressure of being a minister's son in a small, close knit community. Oh, you I mean, can't make a false move in that town. I I always say I couldn't fart without everybody critiquing the damn thing. <laughs> you know that's right. <laughs> so yeah. I needed to escape. There was that resentment for that whole area. And guess what? I was the one driving a 64 Chevy Biscayne to the high school parking lot that was lined up with the pony cars of the 60s. The Mustangs and the GTOs and the SS396s. My friends drove Mustangs, GTOs, SS396s, Corvettes. Mm -hmm. You know, so... There was something very early in my life where I said, God damn it, I am going to own a Corvette. All right. And then you go down in life. You can't buy a Corvette on Navy pay. All right. (laughs) Right. You're just not going to do it. All right. Then you get you get meet somebody that you want to share the rest of your life with who becomes your wife. And then you have kids. Corvette is way off the goddamn list. Oh, yeah, totally. It's like you're living in the middle of those concentric circles. Yeah. (laughs) There you go. That's the point I want to make. Yeah. So to to break out, okay, and to bring these things into focus, yes, you're going to get criticized for the amount of time that you spend talking about your damn car. Okay. But that's the payment. I mean, that's that's what it is. Yeah. You've got to do it. I mean, you have to do it. Yeah. You're I'm in complete and total agreement with you. <laughs> and, and hopefully the people around you respect you enough to give you that space. Um, I'm lucky that I do have a wife that does. Yeah. Most of the time. <laughs> um, yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, because you still need to have, you know, something that's just exclusively you. Right. Right. And, you know, and, and Calypso is that and, and Calypso is the, you know, one of those things in your life that gives you great joy and happiness. That's yep. independent of the joy and happiness you get from your family and friends and career. All right. Now let's move up a slide. Let's go to this last slide you were on, because I'm assuming there's going to be more. Oh, there's a, there's a bunch more. Okay. okay. Look where you put happiness as a word in relationship to career. Oh, yeah. They're side by side. Oh, well, that's just coincidental. But happiness is in the center of the circle and career is on the outside, you know. But. All right. Well, I think there's another meaning there. A subliminal thing that you may not have hit on. Right. Well, okay. What if what if your what if your career is your happiness? Well, that would be ideal, right? If you you do what you love and the money will follow, right? Um, For some people, they have been able to achieve that. Yeah. George Carlin has a great line. I think it was George Carlin. If you nail two pieces of wood together that nobody has ever been able to nail together like it, okay, some idiot will buy it. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. And he's true. 
he's absolutely right. Okay. Yeah. If you do something slightly different than anybody else, you're going to make a sale. And that's what business is all about. Okay. Mm-hmm. If you can put yourself into your business, satisfying your happiness, doesn't make a difference what you're doing. You're going to find some idiot to buy it and you're going to have income. So there you go. Well, perhaps uh, maybe one of the best examples of that is Steve Jobs, right? Where he had this vision and, you know, he, he wanted this, you know, some of this technology to be easy to use. And, and he wanted to be an innovator and create this. At the time was what, the, the Macintosh and then later the iPod and the iPhone. For him, yep. that gave him great happiness. And, and for him, it, there was a great integration. And, and if you're able to have a career that does give you happiness, it's not just a job where you punch in and punch out and slog through the day, but a legitimate merger of that, that's beautiful. I'm somewhere. You, you don't, you don't think he didn't middle. recognize that when he brought on the product name of iMac, iPhone, i this, i that? Well, the high is symbolic. I'm going to get to that at the end. Um, Oh, all right. Sorry. (laughs) Um, This is good. We're on the same wavelength. So, um, you know, speaking for myself from a career and happiness perspective, I'm sort of halfway in the middle. You know, I've been trying to get my career 100% aligned with my happiness, and I've made great strides. And this podcast is part of that evolution. Um, cause I'm trying to integrate the podcast in my, 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 uh, business, but there were times where, you know, my career gave me zero happiness and there were times when I was in a real lull. Um, so yeah, if you can, if you can find the merger of the two, man, that's, that's the jackpot. And then obviously if you have the happiness with your family and friends, then that's also a jackpot. Yeah. Okay. So we good with the circles? Yep. We're good there. Okay, so I'm going to move on. I, I have three charts. The circles one was the most complex of all of them, and it took the longest. So these other ones should go a little faster. And um, the next one is the one that I call the, the check mark. And this is something that I came to this realization, uh, you know, probably about a year ago or so ago. Maybe, yeah, about a year, year and a half. And... I don't know if you felt this, Pete, but I certainly have where I go through moments where I'm not feeling good about myself. Okay. I've got negative self-esteem, right? I don't feel worthy. I, you know, especially when you're on Facebook and you see these people doing, living this wonderful life, you only see that positive side of them. You know, you can feel like if you compare yourself to others that maybe you're not as good or you're not as worthy. And there are times where I might, get my mind in a negative feedback loop thinking about old things in my life, things that I said or things that I did that I'd love a do-over. And you can kind of fall into a ditch. Have you you ever felt this way, Pete? On the obsessing over past incidents, I got to tell you, I got a shit pot full. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And I just created another one. I just said shit pot full on a live broadcast. <laughs> it's okay. Well, this is this podcast. We can say whatever we want. Um, so I, I, you know, I've had moments like this, you know, sometimes a lot of moments like this in my life. And, and you try to figure out a way to reconcile this and how do you make yourself feel better about it? And one of the things that I would often do is 
I would attempt to, you know, prove myself. You know, I would do things to show other people that I'm good, you know, and, and that would sometimes work and sometimes it would fail. And sometimes I get attaboys from other people and that'd make me feel good. Other times I wouldn't get any response. Other times I would fail to prove myself. I could just couldn't do certain things. And it was always this struggle, this battle, this fight that I was fighting both within myself to prove that I was worthy, but also fighting externally to prove to others that I was worthy. And it's in yellow because it was caution. It wasn't working. And a lot of times if I did have success, the success was fleeting. You know, you get an attaboy or someone say, hey, good job. And then suddenly, you know, it's the next day and you got to start all over and climb the mountain again. Um, but it never really solved it. And I was, oh, and I've been going, and in some, some sections of my life, I've been going back and forth on this for years, decades. And what I eventually realized is that, and again, these are lessons that I've been told before. I just never really got it, you know, until late, just till, you know, I've been older. And I've been seeking affirmation from other people. And that's totally wrong. And what I needed to do was to seek self-affirmation. Okay, this goes back to the I, like iPod. I have to, I have to essentially not prove to other people that I'm worthy. I have to prove to myself that I'm worthy. And if I am able to do that, then my problems are largely solved. My, my self-esteem that's negative suddenly becomes positive self-esteem. When I am able to do this and the trick to this whole thing has been productivity is when I'm in that moment where I'm wallowing in negative self-esteem, negative self-worth, obsessing over negative incidents in the past. I have to just focus on being productive, on going and working on my job, working on my podcast, working on a project with my children, working on something that I can build because as I'm building that and being productive, I feel good. I'm accomplishing something. And when I accomplish it, I begin to prove to myself that I am indeed worthy and I feel way better. And as a result, I'm able to shoot above that neutral line into positive territory. And I call this the check mark because it looks like a check mark. Exactly right. So, so this is another one of those visuals that I had in my head. And it was, I was stuck on the red and the yellow where I was in a hole, trying to climb out, getting pulled back in the hole, trying to climb out, pull back in a hole. And I didn't realize that there was a whole level above ground level. <laughs> and the way to get to that was that by being productive was the, was the magic moment that changed it all. And I was, that was a huge aha multiple dimensions um but this was powerful i mean have you ever experienced something like this pete close all right um i, I wouldn't give it the same names or the circumstances okay um and i gotta mention one of my favorite favorite things i refer to people is the first rule of italian driving all right. The first rule of Italian driving is, is a movie clip from one of the cross-country 
comedy movies, you know, where they're racing across country. Like Cannonball Run or one of those? <laughs> one of those, okay. Yeah. And they show the Italian driver in his Ferrari and his navigator sitting there. And, the, and he says, the driver says, and now I will tell you the first rule of Italian driving. And he reaches yeah. up and he grabs the rearview mirror. He rips it off the windshield and he throws it out of the car, you know. <laughs> and he says, what's behind me is not important. Yes. I use that clip constantly to let people know that when, when you're being bogged down, by something that you did or you, you know, you participated in or something you said, there's nothing you're going to do to recover that. Okay. So it's not important. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I got, I got criticized in a management position one time for falling on my sword too early. Ah, hmm. that when a situation developed in the work environment, I was always the first one to take the blame. And he says, my boss says, you're adversely affecting your advancement. If with you keep acknowledging that it's your fault, okay, you're dragging yourself down in the company, right? He says, why do you keep doing this? And I said, because we're going to sit around and we're going to blame each other for a half hour, 45 minutes. Meanwhile, the problem is going on. So yeah. if I take if I take the blame for it, okay, that's all resolved. We can get to getting to the solution a lot faster. Okay. I got promoted a week later. <laughs> right. Well deserved. Now, that's on the positive side. All right. By admitting that it's my fault, even if it wasn't, I still said it's my fault. All right. I got laid off four times in my life. The first one was the most devastating. I thought I was inadequate. Okay. Mm -hmm. Nothing could have been further from the truth. It was strictly a, a business decision to reduce manpower to reduce the overhead so the company could survive. Right. Okay. Now here's, here's the caveat. I said, I got laid off four times, all from the same company. <laughs> really? You keep going yes. back to them. I kept going back. Now the first one, the one that was devastating, I literally sat on my French port on golden way over there near, near garden road. And I stared at my toes on the front porch for the better part of three months, mm. trying to figure out what what there was about me that wasn't adequate, that wasn't good enough for them to keep me on board. Okay. It wasn't me. <laughs> right. Okay. Right. I went out and I found another job. Okay. I got another job, got my feet back on the table. Two, three years later, they came back to me and they said, could, could you come back? <laughs> I said, you betcha. You know, that a eureka moment. Hmm. What did that do for my self-esteem after I had been at another company for two, three years 
sat on my porch for three months, staring at my toes, trying to figure it out. So just the person you are, if you constantly are enjoying what you're doing and you do it to the best of your ability, it will build your self-esteem. So that's how I relate to this slide. Yeah, okay. those are some great lessons. And, you know, the one about the first rule of, of Italian driving is a good one because, you know, it's almost like we have a VCR in our head. We keep hitting replay and play and replay and play of old things. And, God, you can get sucked down in that rabbit hole. It's so I'll hard. send you the link to the YouTube video. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think you it's, shared it with me once before, and it's it's perfect. I mean, it's obviously a goofy thing for a, the road uh, for, you know, road race, but it means yeah. everything in life. Um, and then it was it's special, Pete, for you. you. You know, you were rehired and it hopefully it hopefully it brought back to, you know, to the forefront that you are of value. And yeah. it just took you a, a little bit of time to realize it. Um well, yeah, the, you know, the other three times, the other three, just to fill in the gaps, people are going to say, well, what happened the other three times? <laughs> you know, yeah. I got laid off. Okay. Mm-hmm. But there was an outside position possibility to fulfill the job that needed to be done. Okay. So I became an external contractor. Mm. All right. And eventually that position, they said, oh, you're doing such a good job. We're going to bring you back into the company. And I mean, that's happened three separate times. <laughs> you know, good. Anyway. So good for you. So, you know, you were a gig worker a few times. So that's in, in your own way. Um, yeah. But uh, that's a whole other tangent. <laughs> yep. We'll save that for yep. another time. But let me, I got one more, you know, we're getting close to an hour. So let me finish this up. And I've got... Yep. Uh, one more diagram, and it's similar to the check mark, and um, it's what I'm going to call the energy flow. And this is something that it was a conversation with Catherine Cloward, who was one of my guests on a podcast. And I remember it. Guest, yep. She was my guest like twice, but it was the second time we really talked about this. And this was really cool the way she described it, and it was an aha moment for me. And I remember right after we had that podcast. I went back into my office and I got my notepad and I scribbled this out and I wrote it out and I taped it on my wall um, until it was really permanently ingrained in my mind. And then it was kind of fun to actually build the slides for this. So I'm going to walk you through this. So um, there's a picture of a little young boy. looks kind of like me when I was younger. Um, And there's this whole notion of right. Garbage in garbage out. Right. Which is a kind of an old, data processing term of computer term. When you're inputting bad data, you get bad results. Well, the same is true mentally, right? Like if you are thinking negative thoughts or you're surrounded by negative people, or maybe you're eating or drinking negative things, the output can be garbage out, right? It could be negative output. So obviously people say, Hey, you know, switch it around, you know, positive in positive out and, you know, okay, that sounds good. You've heard it a million times, but what is, how long does it take you to really get it? Well, again, sometimes we feel, it's just like the check mark. We feel down. We have low self-esteem. We self feel self doubt. We feel stuck. We're going through that negative kind of emotion. And that's sort of like our garbage in, right? And then the garbage yep. out is we go to distractions, right? Um, maybe 
you know, for some people, these are addictions. Um, maybe we go through a drifting, you know, which you're really busy, but you're not doing anything. Right. Um, and, you, you know, time is is passing and you're just sort of drifting and not being productive at all. Um, or maybe you have problems and you ignore them and you start kind of building this negative energy kind of loop. And what ends up happening from there is that, you know, you begin to, as a result to break you from some of these distractions or drifting, you might reach out for poor food or drink or find negative people to bitch and complain with or feel more negative thoughts. And then it just becomes this loop and you can get stuck in this and you go down a rabbit hole and it has what I'll call a flywheel effect where it builds momentum. And this was like in the book, um, good to great, which I've referenced before where one of the things that this guy, the author, um, uh, Jim Collins, um, what he said is when companies go from good to great, they're able to kind of build momentum. They're able to get a flywheel effect and get their company really humming. Well, you can have a negative flywheel effect here. Um, now, the key is, is, you know, how do you break out of this? And it's kind of like what I said with the check mark before. It's it comes down to productivity, but first, it, it starts really with awareness, right? You've got to be aware you're in that negative feedback loop, and sometimes people aren't aware. I mean, I that's why we drift, and I've been in that mode where you're feeling down, you're making bad choices, reinforces bad thoughts, makes you feel down more, and then once you're aware of it, that could be the pattern interrupt. And that can that can change, you know, your your ability to address the situation. And so what I do, which I explained previously, is that I to, when I am aware of it, the thing that I do to break my productivity is I just throw myself into my to do list. Um, and I just find any any item on my to list doesn't matter what it is. I will go and do it and get it done and check it off my list and then. I start to feel good about myself, that I'm accomplishing something. I'm actually doing something productive, something that's benefiting me. And my self-esteem increases. And then from there, I begin to make better choices about what I eat and what I drink. Better choices about the people I interact with and the things I think. And now suddenly I've got a positive energy loop that's going and I feel pride, confidence. I feel creative. Um, you know, it's funny is pride is is often categorized as one of the seven deadly sins. But in my book, it's one of the virtues, um, at least my version of pride. You know, pride is when you're not like a stuck up a-hole that thinks you're better than everyone. I don't mean that. It means that it means that you feel good about yourself and you know, you've accomplished certain things and you know that that those accomplishments are real and you can feel good about that. And you know, you're worthy. Um, and that is what I'm going to call my version of pride. And I think that's a positive part of this. And, and then you begin to get that flywheel effect. And so, you know, this whole idea of, you know, your thoughts, dictate your actions and the garbage in garbage out. I always got it, but it was the conversation with Catherine that really kind of put it in the concept of, of an energy flow. Right. 
she brought it out. She named it. Yes. And to me, that was just huge. And, and then she was talking about it from, you know, the, the positive energy flow. But then I said, well, gee whiz, there's also the negative energy flow, um, which is, which is awful. And they kind of have a similar concept, like I've just described here. But the key to this whole thing is how do you break the, the ice? How do you, how do you have that pattern interrupt? And it starts with awareness, which is why I have the light bulb being shown, but then it's ultimately productivity, at least for me. Productivity is the thing that got me back on track because by being productive, I accomplished things. I got shit done, <laughs> you know, right. and that made me, no matter what it was, I mean, it could be as simple as like cleaning the kitchen. Okay. I'm able to get something done. And then I feel I, all of a sudden, you know, I start feeling better. And so what the positive energy flow was what I, Catherine shared. And, and then to me, I kind of saw the negative energy flow and I saw the productivity as the, as the light switch that can get you from one spot to the other. Um, so I don't know, what, are, what are your thoughts on this whole piece here, Pete? I, I listened to that podcast. You know, she, she has a great way of um, illustrating her, the point she wishes to make. Okay. You've picked up on that and you've taken it the next step. Hmm. Okay. I think what you bring to this is even though you're showing a kid, all right, this is what you have to do in the work environment. You have to do this in the work environment. All right. Yeah. Um, one of my direct employees when I was running, when I was supervisor of customer service, there was a sign in, in the office that I really took to heart. And that was not one of us as good as all of us. That was a, that was meaningful to me. Not one of yeah. us is, is as good as all of us. Okay. Yeah. I got you. Yeah. Teamwork. All right. Mm -hmm. When I took over that department, it was not a team. It was some really clever individuals working as individuals. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the only thing that I did was I paid attention to that sign that he had in his office. And I started with him. I had him, I said, tell me about this thing you have hanging up over your desk. He had a, like three or four of them. I had to point it out to him. And damn it, if he didn't, it was like dawn over diamond head. <laughs> he, he realized the same thing that I did. And we started working on establishing customer service as a team. Okay. With a central theme. Mm -hmm. Customer service is not an easy position in any company because all you no. ever hear about is the crap. Yeah, that's the complaint desk. Right? Yeah, it's a tough one. Every, yeah. every phone call you get is somebody pissed off at what your company did mm -hmm. <laughs> in one way or another. All right. And that drags you down as an individual. It yeah. dragged the whole damn department down. All right. So, yeah, putting together the productivity, getting that organized, working as a team. Yeah. 
It, it worked out great. I, I, I highly endorse it. Did did you just curious? Did you have to when you had a bunch of you know clever individuals that didn't work as a team? Did you have to make personnel changes? Did did some people have to go? No. In order to build no. a team? No. Oh, interesting. No. No. I think I think what happened was is there was no central uh, thread that was it had been eroded away. Okay. And when I recognized that we needed to work as a team, what I did was I this is back when I wrote code. And if my current customers find out that I ever wrote code, I'm in a world of trouble. But because um, I say I don't write code anymore. But I established a, a, a program to walk the returned equipment, stuff coming back from customers, to walk that through and, and monitor the progress of a customer's return piece of equipment through the repair process. Well, what everybody realized when they got that into place is that everybody had a part in that process mm. and that, that built the team. So it was just a stupid piece of documentation trail that was visible that got the t- department working together as a team. But I had to plant the seed. I had to start off with, I, he'll remain nameless, but he, he was a good inspirational point. At least the picture was. And he got it. He understood it right off the bat. You know. That's great. You yeah. Know. Now, I'll, t- I'll tell you an amusing story about him, too. Right? I'm walking past his desk, right? And I'm hearing him talking on the telephone. And... <laughs> All of a sudden, he says, I can't help you. And he slams the phone down. I said, what are you doing? He says, the guy's an idiot. I can't help him. I said, he's a customer. You've got to help him, you know. He says, no. He says, I told him to put the dial at the 1 o'clock position on the instrumentation. He says, this is back in the days when there were knobs on instruments. (laughs) And he says, I told him to put the knob at the one o'clock position and he came back and asked me AM or PM. All right. <laughs> he says, he's hopeless. I can't help him. Well, yeah. Some yeah. people are beyond help. <laughs> so anyway, funny story. It's interesting though. I mean, I just, I asked you that question if they made personnel changes, because, you know, as much as I'm talking about how we have to have, you know, awareness of ourselves and we can't diminish ourselves. Yeah. We still work cooperatively with other people in our lives. Right. You have to, you have to, you have to, I mean, I mean, the only way you can get what you want is to help someone else get what they want. Um, And, you know, the world, especially in the corporate world or in your family world, it's all, it's a team game, even though we are individuals playing on a team, but you know, even in sports um, you know, there's sometimes there are, players that aren't in it for the team and they're just in it for themselves exclusively. And then a lot of times they're the ones that get jettisoned. They get tossed off the, off the uh, roster. Right. In, in I'll go back to Jim Collins book, uh, good to great. There is another part of it where he talks about getting the right people on the bus, which is the whole concept of making sure you have the right people, the right people that not only have the skills and talent and knowledge, but they have the right character the right, um, 
you know, the right capacity to work not only as smart people, but to work in a cooperative environment in a team and play their role. And if you don't have the right people on the bus, you got to get them off the bus, essentially make personnel changes and then get the right people on. And then once you've got the right people, then you can figure out who sits in what seat and what role they play. But you got to get the right people on the bus. Um, Yeah, that's another good metaphor. Yeah, my the, the guy that put me in charge of customer service. I mean, I when I joined the company, I was just a technician on the bench, and I I, I eventually became over a period of sh- a short period of time. Um, it was a position of responsibility I worked up to, and uh, he my the big boss came through the shop one day, and he points at my boss. And he points to my chair, because I was standing at the time. And then he points at me, and he points over to where my boss was sitting. All right? Never said a word. After work that day, I went up to him, and I said, what was all this finger pointing? He says, I'm making a change. He says, you're going to have to be aware that so-and-so is going to end up working for you next week. I'm making you supervisor. All right. Right on. And so talk about a difficult position. I mean, my immediate boss was going to end up working for me. All right. So when you say, was there any personnel changes? There was one. (laughs) And that was it. You know, Um, how did that relationship change? I wonder, did your, was your boss able to, you know, he understood. As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, in a private conversation, a uh, short time later, he said to me, he says, that had to happen. I wasn't a happy camper as supervisor. Oh, OK. Then it all worked out. It um, all worked out. <laughs> and I was real impressed that the bigger boss had recognized that, <laughs> you know, yeah. his simple personnel change, although difficult, was productive in both respects. Right on. Yeah. Wow. That's an interesting story. Yeah. I mean, when the, when the junior person becomes the senior, I mean, that <laughs> happens all the time, but when the senior then becomes the junior. That, <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and then the roles flip. Um, right. That usually doesn't work out well. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm, no, I'm, I mean, it, it, <laughs> yeah, it was riddled with, the possibility of an absolute disaster, you know, Mm -hmm. but it worked out. So anyway, well, I, I think, do I have any more? So, so, yeah, this is the summary of the energy flow is, you know, Catherine tuned me into the positive energy flow, which I loved that whole idea. Right. But there is a negative energy flow and the, and the trigger is, is um, awareness first and then productivity. Um, Yep. So, I mean, that's kind of the the end of the slides that I want to share. But um, essentially, three different um, models. You know, the the circles, which was for me the big one. That that's the biggie. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the check mark and the energy flows, which there's a lot of overlap between those two. Um, but these are some of the flow charts that are in my mind. Some of the you know, because when you first talked about this, Pete, immediately I was thinking of the circles. 
And uh, it's I'm just really pleased that um, you felt similarly and wanted to get together. And we did this podcast. We did it as a two part series, which I think is probably best. Um, right. I'm just happy I was able to share all this. Yeah, nobody's going to put up with the both of us for two to three hours. I mean, they have before, but, you know. Yeah, you know, yeah. yeah. Um, so, anyway. I did. I'm, so you got to all your slides, huh? Yeah, I did. Okay. You and you something? No, well, the thing is, I just want to make sure that that final slide that I didn't get to, that some point in time I can just – point that out because I did not wrap that up and I completely forgot about it. Um, you want to share it now? Let me see if I can, let me see if I can find it. <laughs> okay. All right. Hang on. All right. Uh, Convergent this coil final. The magic of live streaming here. Um, yeah. As Pete's looking for his, his uh, PowerPoint slide to share. Convergent coil. Could that be it? Nope, not there. Uh, I wonder where the hell I stored it. Never mind. It's not that important. Okay. I'm just proud of you that you got through all your slides uh, and I didn't leave one dangling out there in space. No, no, no dangling participles. Um, so anyways, <laughs> closing thoughts. Um, uh, Pete, any, any final thoughts here as we wrap up this? Episode? Yeah, I'm going to, I want you to spend a lot more time on these, your circles. I oh, want yeah. you to think about them. I want you to think about them long and hard. Okay. okay. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Because they're not cyclic. The dimension of time is going to turn those all into coils. Oh, absolutely. You're right. Yep. They are definitely yep. coils. I mean, and, and we could suddenly start playing, you know, 3D chess with Spock. Um, yeah. But I, I, I got I, I to start thinking about that flywheel effect, though. I mean, that's a great, great analogy yeah. and it happens it happens oh, totally. yeah you know it, um momentum but it's 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 a flywheel yeah right and it's from the book good to great which is just fantastic and uh he talked about that you know and sometimes it takes effort to get the flywheel moving in the right direction but every day oh, yeah. you push it a little harder and it starts kind of building and building and then suddenly you know it takes on a life of its own Um, And if you can get it moving in a powerful direction, I mean, magical things can happen. Yep. Absolutely. Positively. I liked your presentation. That was really well done. Thanks. You spent a little bit of time, a little bit more time than I would have liked. I would have liked to have done convergent coils back a month or so ago, but we had other shit going on a month or so ago. That was, that was the peak of our COVID. (laughs) Oh God! Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, we're now we're on the downside of that curve, right? So another. Let's hope. Let's hope we've had four days in a row of less than ten in Poway. So, yeah. I have a closing quote, and um, remember you were talking about Steve Jobs. Yes. And he he called it the iPod and the iPad and the iPhone. Okay. So I said I'd get back to this, right? So yep. this is a quote. And I quote from her frequently because it's all part of this kind of 
self-realization, personal discovery that I've been on for like the last 10 years. And, mm-hmm. um, and it's from Ayn Rand. And, you know, again, for those people that know who Ayn Rand is, there's people that love her and people that hate her. She's a very divisive figure, but I, I found a lot of her teachings to be powerful as hell. And this is a quote and from her. And she says, to say, I love you, one must first be able to say the I. I'm like, wow. So a lot of times, you know, it's it's almost like the whole idea that that love when done properly is a very selfish act, right? Because you want to be with that person because they make you feel good about you. They reinforce your own values. They, um, they, they give you the positive energy that you're sometimes not able to give yourself. Um, and so say, I love you. You, you. you have to start with I first. And I, I just thought that was cool. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Good, um, good one. Good one. Okay. Um, well, let's wrap this up. This is um, episode number 203, Pete. Wow. Um, and we'll be back on Monday, hopefully at 2 o'clock if all goes swimmingly. All right? It's come a long, long way from a guy I met at a Poway forum that said, I'm thinking about doing this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> well, You've done, you done really first, well. Uh, you were the first one that took me up on it. You were my first guest. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And I appreciate that, Pete. Yeah. Well, I, it's a great concept. Poway needs it. The world needs it. The world needs it, baby. So we're going to keep sharing the love. So thanks yeah. again, everybody. We'll talk to you later.